when it comes to embracing the power of God, it's just a challenge for me to realize that that isn't just something that I call out from God. That is something that I ask God to do, yes, but I ask him to do it through me. I ask him to show me how I am supposed to walk out these commandments. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 32nd Book Club podcast. Uh, We were doing social distancing before it was cool. This week, Than Bennett is hanging out in the uh, podcast. He's written a book called My Fame, His Fame. I really was was feeling you. I was like, this is how I feel because you talk about how you don't necessarily, you don't think you really want to be famous, but, and that's kind of how I am too, even though I'm in radio. (laughs) That's not the goal for me. Uh, But you say that we were created for fame. I, I honestly, Andy, I love that that was your reaction because that was kind of the design with the title. I wanted people to kind of, uh, maybe even cringe a little at the idea of, you know, we're going to pursue my fame or this idea of fame um, because I, I wanted it to sort of set the hook because, Andy, I, I think um, I think we have an obsession with fame in our culture. And I think it's a, a two edged sword for those of us who are following Jesus, because the temptation is to look at the pursuit of fame that we see around us in our world. Right. And, and reject it and run away from it. And while that is is good in one sense, Andy, I, I think Scripture pretty clearly tells us that we actually were created for fame. Now we, we've got to we've got to learn a different definition of fame because it's not the one that comes to mind for for you and for me. Like you know, it's not platforms and likes and visibility. It's it's the fame that God talked about when He said He was going to make Abraham into a great nation, or He was going to spread Joshua's fame throughout the land, or the story that I anchor the book in is actually about Habakkuk, but it's about being vessels that are capable of acquiring the fame of God and then taking that fame to meet a tangible world. And so just to sort of set it in a, in a hook of scripture, I think my favorite uh, verse that illustrates this point is Isaiah 43, 21, which God, God says to Isaiah, he says, the people I formed for who? For myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So, Andy, I just have to be careful that while I'm trying to live a life that isn't centered on me, as hard as that may be, that I don't throw out the idea altogether that there are messages that I'm supposed to proclaim to the world. It's it's his messages. It's his fame. But he's intentionally put those uh, those messages inside you and me. They don't they don't often meet a tangible world on their own. We, we've got to carry them to the yeah, and I think that that ties in as you just talked about a little a little later on uh, in the in talking about fame. It, where am I known? It's such a, mm-hmm. a deep question, you know, relating to the the whole fame thing too. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I, I think when we pursue a breadth of personal fame, it's destructive, right? It's what uh, it's what Madonna talked about when she said that she's not going to be uh, satisfied until she's famous like God. This is one of the most famous people on the planet. Uh, who is not going to be satisfied until her fame uh, rivals that of God. But, you know, uh, being known by the famous one, being known by the creator, Andy, is what gives us power. So, you know, there's there's a depth of being known by him that will sustain while pursuing the fame that we see around us will will uh, destroy us. But I just I'm just so taken with this idea that God has specifically designed the the glory of his name and the elevation of his fame to be entangled with the pinnacle of his creation, us. I mean, you know, I I really believe, Andy, that he could have done this another way, right? He could have brought glory to his name uh, without involving us, but he so desires relationship with us that I think sometimes 
his seemingly absence from our world or from certain situations is actually because he's waiting on us to come to him and interact with him and, and be entangled with that story. So look, I'm, I'm fervently believing that we're on the edge of a mighty move of God. Um, but it, it's not, it's not on autopilot, Andy. It, it depends on you and me deciding that we want to be a part of this and sort of following in the footsteps of Habakkuk and, and calling for God's fame to be repeated and then saying, look, we're willing to be the ones uh, that facilitate that and, and that you move through us. Tying into that too, and I thought, um, man, again, I feel you on this one, Than, that you say we're encouraged to pursue the wrong kind of leadership. And I, I often think mm-hmm. there's this... Um, there's this disconnect sometimes, especially in the Christian world. There's the Global Leadership Summit. Not that they're saying there's anything wrong with that, but there's all these ideas of we need to be leaders, we need to be leaders. And then there's other people that will say, well, but Jesus says we're supposed to follow him. And so we're we're in this world of what does leadership look like, biblical leadership look like? Yeah, I I mean, look, first of all, I, I start that chapter off by saying I cringe a little bit when I hear that word. And it's true, Andy, I do, because... You know, so often when we talk about leadership, it's all about pushing our way to the front, right? And and less about where we might be leading or what what motivation uh, that that may be. And I, I would just I would just submit to you that uh, there, there's greater accountability with leadership. I mean, Paul's pretty clear about that in multiple places in, in the New Testament. And if if people are going to be following us, we've got to be make sure make sure that they're actually uh, going in the right direction. And I would just submit to you that the only way I think you can pull this off is if actually your intention is not primarily to lead, but it's to follow hard after him. And I use an illustration in the book that, that uh, where your eyes are set or where your, your focus is, is going to determine whether or not, uh, you know, you and anybody who is following you is headed in the right direction. If your eyes are set on him, if your eyes are set on the famous one, then anyone who happens to sort of naturally gravitate to you is ultimately going to be following him. But if your eyes, if my eyes are on the crowd, right, like pilots were on, on what their reaction is going to be, I'm going to make decisions based on how they will react. And that is going to take not only me, but all of them further away from, from Jesus, further away from the one that we're trying to fo- uh, follow. So I just think there needs to be a sort of a fundamental shift instead of a pursuit of leadership, I think we need to be in pursuit of following hard after him. That may naturally uh, result in some leadership, but I, I just don't think that should ever be the primary goal. Mm. So in the uh, chapter talking about the awe factor, I thought this was a really interesting um, interesting mm. concept. I'd love you to unpack a little bit more. You say that God is beyond big and less than small. Yeah, uh, beyond big, less than small, uh, less than small, and actually incomprehensibly unknowable as well. And um, it's just this—it's this concept that I don't know that I've fully wrapped my my brain around. But a God that is big enough to create a world so expansive that you and I don't know the limits of it, yet intentional enough to reduce Himself to humanity to save me. Um, and, and, and yet the complexity of him is something that, that we will never fully wrap our, our mind ar- around. And yet, Andy, a, a relationship with that being, a, a being that complex, that, that huge yet stooping to our level and yet so complex that we can't know him, a relationship with that being is at the center of what he desires. And it's just if that doesn't excite you about being a part of that story, then I, I just don't think 
that anything will. And so I think actually this is at the center of what I hope people would take away from this book is that, you know, God, God could have done this a lot of different ways. And uh, when he got when he got tired of Moses, Moses's ex- uh, excuses, my excuses, he could just be done with us. But he doesn't do that, Andy, because his deepest desire is to interact with the pinnacle of his creation. And so uh, as we deal with this juxtaposition, I guess, between these two competing ideas of fame, I, I hope that we don't throw them both out together. I hope that we will sort of reorient ourselves to uh, living a life that is uh, in pursuit of fame, but it's not our own fame. It's the one that we can gather and then take to, to, uh, to interact with the tangible world in, in very tangible ways. You talk about uh, in the chapter, I don't know that, you know, there's, we, have, we, we all have this fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And the first step is to simply say, I don't know. <laughs> that is powerful and scary. Why is that? <laughs> well, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I'm going to be, I'll be real vulnerable here for a minute. To this day, my parents and my siblings give me a little bit of a, a hard time because this is something that I was virtually incapable of doing growing up. And I probably still have a pretty, a pretty hard aversion to it. I just don't want to admit that I don't have the answers. And Andy, I think the reason for that is because if I admit I don't have the answers, then I don't have control over the outcome, right? Because I can't, I can't manage it. And yet when you're talking about a relationship with God, I mean, if we desire to know parts of him and facets of him that, that we don't currently know, we, we have to admit that. And we have to be willing uh, to go into areas that, that he hasn't revealed to us yet. And I don't know, I've just come to a place in my life where um, I'm blessed beyond measure with the parts of God that I do know. But Andy, I'm, I'm desperate to know the far side of him. I'm desperate to um, know the side of him that's not yet been revealed to me. And so I'm trying to get better at this idea of admitting I don't know and asking God to reveal more of himself to me. And, you know, as I, as I take little baby strides in this direction and maybe learn a little bit more, the thing that I'm finding, Andy, is that it opens up relationships. It, it, it allows other people to share their vulnerabilities with me and allows um, each of us to sort of learn from each other and in the process, learn more about God. So uh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, and in fact, uh, when I write, I find that this is true a lot. I often don't um, maybe write from a place of expertise. I kind of write from my current station in life, what I'm currently struggling with uh, or working through. And this would be one of them. Um, but it's definitely something that I desire to, uh, to grow in as we go along. So a little later on, you talk about um, in the chapter, remember to understand. I thought this was interesting. I underlined it because uh, this is how I feel a lot too. Why are we so frequently hesitant to draw near to God or run to him with our challenges? Why do you think that is? And, and, and how do we, I don't know, get over that? Is, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this may, might surprise you a little bit. I think a lot of it, at least for me, let me answer it from my perspective. Maybe this isn't true for everyone, but from my perspective, um, I'm a little bit fearful. Um, I, 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 it's easy for me to say that I want God's power in my life, but, uh, you know, Andy, for those who don't know, or, or it's new to them, uh, it causes them to pull away and it causes me to appear peculiar. Right. And, uh, I mean, maybe that shouldn't, shouldn't scare me so much because, because the, the Bible actually tells us that we will be peculiar if we follow Jesus. But I, I, that's a big deterrent for me, or at least it has been over my life to, to running to him with problems because it will stand out from the world. Um, I, but I just, I guess I'm just coming to a place where 
I'm desperate enough for this mighty move of God that, that he promised to Habakkuk. I'm desperate for it to appear in our time. And I'm absolutely convinced that if I operate out of that fear, as opposed to an exhilaration that God is going to move, then we're going to get more of the same, Andy. I mean, this frustration with the culture that, that at least I have, we're going to get more of it. And, and I don't want that. I want, I want the presence of God to show up in a real way. So, um, my endeavor is to get over that fear, to draw near to him and to embrace that power anyway, and to ask and to ask that power to make a real difference in these in these problems that I see around us. So this was a this was a deep question. I, I uh, I'm still kind of noodling around a little bit in your chapter. Invest in the old man. Talk a little bit about, I mean, you're, you're thinking eternal perspective in, in this chapter and, and, and what our life I, I don't know if, if you felt that way when you were writing this, or maybe this has just been in your mind for a while, but you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, about investing in the old man or old woman. So I just think um, so often I've had the inclination to think about the next five minutes, right? Think about uh, what is going to prosper me now, what is going to be good for my family in the near term. And I've needed a shift, Andy, to uh, what what is going to glorify his name in the long run? And sort of the easiest way for me to accomplish this has been to uh, try to mentally fast forward my life to what it will look like when I'm either on my deathbed or maybe uh, you know just just in my more senior years. What are what am I going to have been? Uh, well, what will I be glad that I spent time doing, and what will I be frustrated that I wasted a bunch of time on? And and honestly, I think it it really comes back to this same fundamental question we talked about. Am I spending time pursuing my own fame and my own accolades or, or am I spending time uh, uh, channeling and, and acquiring and spreading to the world around me, the, the, the fame of the eternal one, the fame of the creator. And honestly, I think um, the extent to which I do the latter more will, will be the extent to which uh, I am I am at peace with how I have lived my life when I am an old man. So um, I, I guess just mentally putting in putting myself in that place of of being the one looking back on my life and then trying to adjust uh, in in the real time while I'm here. I don't want to wait till the end, Andy, to do that analysis. Right? I want to try to do it now while I can do still do something to change it. All right. So it, you talk about in the chapter embrace the power that a lot of us claim to believe the power of God can overcome any obstacle. But how do we actually embrace that? The best way to do this is try to be extremely practical and extremely uh, tangible with this. You know, I have long professed that I want the power of God to show up in my life, but I've been hesitant to be the one uh, that calls it forth, uh, frankly, because I'm afraid that he's not going to show up. And so the way I'm trying to think about this now, Andy, and the the challenge that I make in the book is I, I, I want us to think about us as being the connective tissue of God's fame and God's power. You know, we believe that he's capable of creating, uh, of, of performing all sorts of, of powerful acts. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm including outright miracles, healings, um, showing up in people's lives to save them from addiction. I mean, I think that power is very real and God can perform it in our lives, but uh, he chooses to do it through us. So in the book, Andy, I go through a whole list of commands that we know that we are supposed to embody, you know, love your neighbor, confront injustice, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, um, uh, befriend the lonely, comfort the ailing, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, on down the line you go. 
But none of those things happen, Andy, until we step into them, right? So we want God's power to uh, confront injustice. Well, that doesn't happen until we confront the injustice. He, we, we want God to, to, to address the hungry and to the thirsty. Well, that, that doesn't happen until I carry food and water to the hungry and thirsty. We want God to comfort and visit the prisoner. That doesn't happen until I actually step foot into the prison and visit the prisoner. So when it comes to in, embracing the power of God, it's just a challenge for me to realize that that isn't just something that I call out from God. That is something that I uh, I, I ask God to do, yes, but I ask him to do it through me. I ask him to show me how I am supposed to walk out these commandments. And so it's just, a, it's just an encouragement for all of us to in, uh, intertwine those things more because, quite frankly, that's the way he designed it, too. He didn't, he didn't, turn the, he didn't set this world on autopilot. He also didn't turn it all over to us. It's, it's a both and thing. It's to call his power into our world in tangible ways, but it's to realize that we are a part of that as well. All right. One last question, because I thought this was a really yeah. cool um, analogy in your chapter about uh, mercy advocates. You talk about that you're not supposed to um, carry your rocks and don't let others carry your rocks, too. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. OK, so this this is, involves a story about my youngest daughter, Hope. Uh, we were visiting Chicago, which I consider my hometown. I grew up in farm country in Illinois. Uh, but basically, I carried a backpack around all day with all my kids' stuff in it. And when we got back to the hotel, I discovered that someone had stashed two large chunks of concrete into the backpack. And uh, when I questioned the kids about it, my youngest, Hope, she said, well, those are my special rocks, Dad. And I didn't want to leave them at the hotel. So I had toted these two uh, chunks of concrete around Chicago all day, uh, needlessly carrying weight. But Andy, uh, what what it said to me is, I mean, I think there are two kinds of weight that we needlessly carry around in our lives. And the first is the weight of sin. And I think I, for a long time, have uh, really um, not given credence to the full price that Jesus paid on the cross because I was still carrying around the guilt of my sin, even though Jesus had already paid it on the, on the cross. And so I need to take that weight out of my life. I don't have to carry it anymore. Uh, but second, Andy, is the weight of unforgiveness. I mean, other people have wronged us and don't deserve our forgiveness as well. But if we want the forgiveness that was provided for us on the cross, we have to be able to uh, pass that forgiveness on to others as well. So I think those are two weights that we really have, I really have carried around in my life. And if we want to be fully effective for amplifying the fame of God in our time, I think we've got to live unencumbered. And I think we've got to be willing to lay down the guilt of our sin that he's paid the price for. And we've also got to be able to uh, forgive others when they wrong us. Well, if you're like me, you're spending uh, more time at home than usual. And you might be realizing my house is has, has some clutter. What do I do, Andy? Well, uh, coming up next week in the 30 Second Book Club podcast, Melissa Michaels, who has done a blog for a long time called The Inspired Room, has a book called Simple Organizing, 50 Ways to Clear the Clutter. She'll share at least a few of those, some of her best thoughts coming up next week.